Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. One of the very interesting topics in religious freedom has to do with the freedom of schools to hire and fire people of their own faith and to practice their religion with ministers, teachers who are considered ministers and constitutionally protected as such. But what are the limits? And what does it mean to be a minister in the context of religious school? My guest today is my friend and colleague, Andrew Fletcher, associate attorney with JML Law in Woodland Hills, California. And Andrew recently won a decision in the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals on this very issue. Andrew, welcome to Freedom's Reign. Thank you for having me. So, you know, as an introduction, I guess let's start with this. Tell us about uh, Kristen Beal and... Uh, what she's claiming as far as why she was fired from her job as a school teacher. What were the claims that she brought against the school? Yeah, when uh, Kristen Beal worked for uh, St. James School, she uh, the circumstances of the case really arose. She told the school that she had breast cancer, and um, she was in her first full year of teaching. She had actually substituted at the school for many, many years before. She informed the school about halfway through her first year of teaching that she had breast cancer. She'd need to miss work to uh, undergo chemotherapy. She anticipated about spending that last final month of the school year being out, and she was unsure of exactly the date that she'd be able to return. She um, told the school this and, and was basically informed that, well, it's that is a, a little bit problematic because the um, as a policy, this the sister who informed her said, she is, you know, we don't really like to have two teachers teaching the same group of kids, you know, in a single year. Um, so needless to say, her contract wasn't renewed. And uh, we brought claims under the Americans with Disabilities Act, basically on um, disability discrimination related to her breast cancer. And so, uh, OK, so yeah. if I understand, they honored the contract through the school year, but because she had missed so much time for chemo they would not rehire her for the next school year. That's correct. They did not rehire her next year for the next school year. Well, that's terrible. Um, that's really not good. And yet, under some circumstances, the courts would decline to interfere in this situation, and that's what you were up against, isn't it? That's correct. At uh, the district court, the topic of the ministerial exception came up, and um, the court actually very uniquely uh, requested that the defendant employer bring summary judgment on the issue. And the defendant brought summary judgment on the issue. At the time, um, we were dealing with the summary judgment. Really, the only case coming out, uh, the Ninth Circuit were all handled previous to the Hosanna-Tabor decision in 2012 by the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Andrew, sure. we got to go back because I don't want to lose our listeners here. Explain what the ministerial exception is and what the issue the court wanted the parties to argue about. Sure. Uh, the ministerial exception, uh, when you look at the First Amendment and freedom of religion and the religious clauses in the First Amendment, 
basically the ministerial exception would causes the court great concern because under the freedom of religion, religious institutions have a right to pick and choose who is uh, who they choose to lead, uh, be it a church, be it a school, who is the leadership that is furthering their religion. The government is not allowed to step in and second guess so long as that individual is considered a minister under the law. It's very, it's very much a legal term of art, um, but it's an issue that the district court saw because she was a teacher and she was a teacher at a Catholic school. Uh, we need a briefing on that. Okay, so the doctrine is that the, because of the separation of church and state, the state is not going to tell a religious body who is qualified to carry out its religious purposes. Correct. Um, and in the Hosanna-Tabor case, they ruled that a teacher in a Lutheran school who had special credentials as a minister was, in fact, a minister. And the question that follows is, well, what about other teachers? Are all teachers going to be considered ministers in religious schools? Or, you know, how do we draw the lines? And, and that's really where your case comes in, isn't it? Yeah, it's that's exactly right. It's uh, a little bit of a different situation. Uh, my particular client, I don't know if you want me to get into some of the her factual differences, but she was, besides being a substitute teacher, she did not receive any religious uh, training or religious education before she began teaching there. And I think that's one of the key things the, the court really picked up on is that my, my client graduated from California State Dominguez Hills and ended up getting her teaching degrees or teaching certification um, shortly after she was uh, in process of already teaching at St. James versus some of the many other teachers at, at uh, private Christian schools and religious schools across the nation that go through a, a lot of additional religious training in order to ensure that they're uh, you know educating according to the, the, the tenets of the particular religion. Well, and I do think that these specifics are important, you know, for our listeners to understand. And to the extent that um, our listeners have kids in a religious school, or maybe you serve on school boards or church boards or what have you, um, these are very important issues for us to understand, especially if we want to preserve within the Christian school movement, if we want to preserve that kind of autonomy. Um, then we really need to know what's the difference between a teacher who's a minister and one who is not. And I think your case, you know, is very helpful in that regard. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, as I expressed earlier, you know, I'm certainly sympathetic to wanting the schools to be able to carry out their religious mission. I don't think that the religious mission is uh, required to fire someone who's in cancer treatment. I think that's just terrible. And uh, I'm glad that your client is going to be able to pursue her claim. Thank you. And I'm happy to get into some of those important distinctions for your listeners, if you'd like. Yeah, please do. Please do. And what I'll do, I think, is I'll, I'll compare it to the Supreme Court, the individual teacher in the Supreme Court, so you can kind of see those differences. Uh, for instance, one of uh, the considerations of the court is what is the employee's title? And does that title reflect a ministerial substance and training? In the Supreme Court case, the particular teacher was called a minister of religion commissioned. Uh, in my particular case, the court found that her title was nothing more than fifth grade teacher. And another factor of consideration is how that employer holds that employee or holds that teacher out to the community. 
So that being said, that kind of it goes into basically does any biblical uh, requirements for teaching, biblical training, education, kind of dives into um, all of the requirements this individual has to go through in order to secure a position at that particular school. In the uh, Hosanna, the Supreme Court case, uh, that particular teacher went through um, eight-level college courses. She went through a considerable amount of, of teaching to become her Lutheran teacher versus my client who uh, she got a, a bachelor degree from Cal State Dominguez Hills and um, shortly after began substituting at this school. One of the other important factors is how the individual, how the particular teacher holds themselves out to the community, to the parents, to the teacher, other teachers in, at the school. Um, in the Supreme Court case, that particular teacher held herself out as a minister by claiming tax benefits reserved for employees that are earning their compensation in doing ministry. And she openly testified that she felt that she was doing God's work and doing teaching for the Lutheran Church. My client, on the other hand, there's nothing in the record to establish she took any tax breaks. And she is certainly on record basically stating that while in this particular instance she's Catholic, this was nothing really more than just a teaching position for her because she just loved to teach. It wasn't necessarily that she felt she was doing God's work, but she just really loved to teach and openly said she'd go get a job really anywhere. And this is the job that opened up for her. Finally, the, the most difficult factor and, and consideration is really how does that individual teacher transmit the role of the faith to the next generation? And this is a factor that in both instances, in the Supreme Court and in the Ninth Circuit, there was evidence to suggest in my client's case that she did, um, she did convey the message of the Catholic Church, but there were certainly other considerations that, that were at play. She taught religion in a classroom. She, you know, four days a week. She incorporated religious themes and symbols into her uh, environment and curriculum as the school required. Um, but really, the difference is my client would um, encourage prayer in the classroom, but she never would lead prayer. She would actually have her students lead the prayer. She would take her kids to mass or um, any large school gatherings, but she never would lead those. Um, the teacher in the Supreme Court case, uh, the records show that she really took a more active role in, um, in leading prayer, leading services taking a more traditional role that you'd see what a minister would accomplish. Um, there's important distinctions there, but I think it's, it's really this case sets kind of that outer limit about what the ministerial exception means. And I think really for your listeners, it really would allow them um, to be able to go back and just double check how they're hiring some of these teachers and make sure that if they truly do want them to be ministers, they are uh, going through and, and, and following some of these uh, factors that the courts consider. Well, you know, listening to you, Andrew, I'm reflecting on something that one of my mentors taught me many years ago, and he pointed out that for a religious school to secularize is very easy. All they have to do to secularize is, is really nothing, that the natural drift is towards becoming more secular. And it appears that this Catholic school was Catholic in name, but it wasn't very intentional or deliberate about the religious mission. Uh, my mentor said, if you want to retain your religious identity, you know, you have to be very intentional. Um, you know, it's something that has to be pursued very vigorously. And I think that's a good lesson for, for all of us. Now, I don't care how religious the environment is. I hope that our schools treat 
our faculty and our staff with dignity and respect and don't do things like this school did to your client. Uh, you know, my wife is a cancer survivor. I don't want schools to treat cancer survivors, you know, okay, well, we're going to throw you away now because you're too much trouble. I mean, that's just so horrible. And uh, I, I just hope that we will all take this to heart, uh, you know, as far as how our schools should be functioning and, and the kind of example we set for our kids, for crying out loud, right? I mean, what kind of message does that send to the kids in her classroom? Oh, she's there and then, you know, she gets fired because she's got cancer. I, I, I guess before we close, I got to ask you, did the school have another excuse for why they fired your client? They, they came back and they, they, they haven't really put the best excuse forward. Um, actually, the way the court ended up ruling at summary judgment, we really haven't even dived in, dove into the reasoning for the termination. Because the way the ministerial exception works, is if the court simply finds that the individual is a minister, um, the court actually isn't allowed to even get into reasons for the, the termination and any second guessing of the reasons given by the particular religious uh, institution for sure. why uh, the employer or the employee is no longer working there. That's actually part of uh, some of the case law out there. They're not even allowed to get in there without answering this right. first question. I got to cut you off. Yeah. Yeah, we'll keep our listeners posted, but we're out of time. Our guest today, Andrew Fletcher, uh, congratulations again on the win in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on this very important ministerial exception case. Remember, friends, at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. That's churchstate.org. And be sure to listen to other Freedom Stream programs on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let Freedom Ring. <laughs>